With that, if you would open up your Bibles to Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. I'm going to read a verse, and uh, I'm going to read it to Erica, not you, because that'll get awkward. Um, Because it's not awkward for you to (laughs) stare at me and read it. (laughs) But uh, I want to read something to open up this message that we're going to be doing this morning on on marriage. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, and it says this. It says, Arise, my darling, come away, my beautiful one. For now the winter has passed, the rain has ended, and it's gone away. The blossoms appear in the countryside. The time of singing has come, and the turtle dove's cooing is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The blossoming vines give off their fragrance. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. My dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. It goes on, and I can't read that in church. But today, as we continue on in our series, Hashtag All the Feels, we want to speak to you from the subject, Hashtag Married Up. Married Up. As we look at what it takes to establish, develop, and maintain a healthy marriage. Babe, would you pray? Yes, absolutely. God, we just worship you in this moment, Lord. We know that we're all coming from different backgrounds, different histories. Um, We're coming from broken places in marriages, Lord. We're coming from watching marriages fail in our families, Lord. And I just pray right now that you would soften our hearts, Lord God, and ready us for your word today, Lord, and your encouragement today, God. We thank you that with practical steps, Lord, we can have amazing marriages, God. Marriages that that the people around us look at and want and desire because we're following after you individually in our marriages and together. And I just pray that as we um, speak today, God, you just speak to our hearts and ground these things within us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you wanted to say something before we got started just to kind of set up everything concerning some of the points that we're going to be dealing with yeah. um, to kind of create a level playing field as, as we approach these, these thoughts. Absolutely. There's a few things to know. One, this is not just a marriage message. Most of these things can be applied to any relationship that you're in. So know that. If you're not married or you've been married and you never want to be married again, this can still apply to your life, okay? Um, so hopefully you can hear that heart. As well, we do understand that there is there is people that represent broken marriages in here. There is people that represent um, divorces and that there's situations that have um, come to many of us that we have no control over and that we've done all that we can. So we also understand that there's going to be some points in here that we understand that that is the past that is carried in this room right now. And so we just wanted to encourage you that as we speak to those things, please know that there's nothing condemning about this message. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is encouragement. This is preparing us for the relationship that we're in, that we're going into. Whatever it is, this is for preparational purposes. So, And to also just refresh and re-energize those of us who are married, who are, who are in the midst of it all, who are trying to apply these things practically to our lives. So we just want to encourage you with that to please um, never hear anything more than love and encouragement and take the, the goodness of that and, and then apply apply it. And for the singles in the house today, uh, we dealt with you guys a couple of weeks ago. We want to make sure that you take this message today and don't, don't throw it out or tune out. Use this as some framework as you start to approach relationships as well. And, uh, and we do want to say we understand that it takes two to tango um, in this reality. And these points do, if we're honest, they come from two people who are committed to this marriage and who are committed to making these things work. And so we understand that that is some of the overtone. And so 
I know there's all kinds of situations and circumstances represented in the room today, um, depending on where you're at in life. But we want, we want to say as a qualifier that these, these points that we're about to give you today um, are coming from the idea that there's two people in a relationship that want to focus on these things. Does that work? Is that all right? All right. So what we have is we have 10 points we need to work through today. All right. Um, Jimmy Fallon does his top 10. We're doing our top 10. So this is what we call uh, Jason and Erica's top 10 things to remember for marriage. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, it'll be up on the screen. First one is this. Familial baggage makes a horrible carry-on. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Familial baggage makes a horrible carry-on. In other words, you need to deal with your familial baggage, all right? If you don't deal with it, your spouse will end up taking the brute force of your bitterness, your frustration, your unforgiveness, your disdain, your mistrust, or whatever else you potentially are harboring against your family of origin, all right? We call this projection, And this goes for those of us who may have been divorced as well. You become unable to move forward or hold a noose around the neck of anyone you come into relationship with as we seek to build a relationship because we haven't dealt with the baggage of the past, and especially when it comes to our familial baggage. But it goes further. Part of that baggage is potentially the culture, the tradition of your family that has been from the beginning of your family heritage, potentially unhealthy as well. And a lot of this has to do with offense. And like I said, Erica's going to be talking about that a little next week. So we're not going to dig uh, so far down into the offense. But what I do want to say is this, is that we need to deal with our familial baggage because it makes a horrible carry-on, right? right? Um, in my past, our families are very, very different. What I love about Erica's family and still love about her family is they're very open about things. They talked about a lot of things. And a lot of Erica's life has been developed because her parents were unafraid to, to deal with things out in the open, to talk about things that a lot of parents, unfortunately, will, uh, will put underneath the rug. My family, on the other hand, was hush-hush, uh, skeletons in the closet. We don't talk about anything. And so I was kind of left to learn how life works simply by making decisions and making my own choices and kind of figuring out on their own. How many of you know that when we came to the marriage, like when we came into marriage, that creates two very different realities coming into play, right? And our familial baggage produced some stuff in our our lives that was a little bit different, right? And so for instance, I'm going to be very honest and candid in here. We had the sex talk last weekend. um, And uh, don't worry, it's not going to get gross, all right? But when it came to intimacy and everything like that, because how my family handled intimacy in a very unhealthy way, it showed up in our marriage when we talked about things, we had to negotiate through things, we had to figure things out. As a newly married couple, it was, it was weird and it was hard. Why? Because I had some familial baggage. Right. I came from a broken family, divorced, right? All kinds of different situations. And so in our marriage, I brought some things, I brought some fears into our marriage. Can we make this marriage work? Because all I'm used to is, is, is family that divorces. So can, can we make this happen? Is this even going to work? Am I going to screw it up? The answer is yes, I'm going to screw it up. But because she loves me and because we have grace in our relationship, because we have Jesus at the center of our relationship, there was room for that. But I had to deal with my familial baggage because if I didn't, I was carrying it into our relationship and it was going to make it funky really, really fast. And so we've got to, the first, the first thing in the top 10 that we've got to understand is we've got to deal with our familial baggage because it makes a horrible carry-on. Was there anything that you wanted to add to that? No, I think that's... Okay. So we're going to do this a lot. We're going to bounce back and forth um, and ask permission to say things. Um, so 
Or just interrupt. Yeah, or just in, in, probably interrupt. Probably more likely. <laughs> um, but uh, actually, I wanted you to say something. We talked about it in the car yesterday um, about some of the things from your past that could have potentially been baggage, but that you dealt with it in a healthy way, and so it didn't end up rearing its head. Well, um, I've shared this a little bit before, but when I was a child, I was a victim um, of molestation. So um, as a child, I... I didn't ever carry that idea of victim. And I think part of that, unfortunately, was like peeled away this week. I thought I was over it, and it was revealed that I wasn't. But but there's just some things that still linger, I guess, that I didn't realize. But at the same time, um, I didn't carry that mentality of victim, which could have led to a lot of discomfort in our marriage, a lot of not trusting, and a lot of that. Instead, I, I, I believe that God healed me, and he did in so many ways of that, of that place and that space. So even, you know, your history in whatever it is, whatever hurt and whatever pain, your history can play a huge role in how well your marriage does. So if you're not willing to confront your history and get to the root of your issues, then you're going to have marital problems because you're ignoring the issues, you know? And ultimately, and that's kind of what was uncovered for me this last week, is that I deal a little bit with anger, and that has always been the way it has been. I, since I was a child, I've dealt with that, and this week it was kind of peeled away a little bit of like that being a secondary emotion to cover maybe something else that was going on. So now I get to go dig that out and figure out what that means. But at the same time, see, the thing is, I'm willing to, okay? And I realize that in that, that you're going to get to support that, and I'm going to have to work through that. And I know that God has healed it in so many ways, so it's not going to be this big thing. But at the same time, it's just recognizing that there's brokenness there. So it's not come into your marriage whole. It's come into your marriage prepared to deal with the things as they come up. Okay? So come into your marriage knowing that things are going to come up. And we're going to rub each other the wrong way. And something, a scab might get picked off, which sounds disgusting. I'm so sorry. That sounded gross. Um, <laughs> so the might get, that you thought was almost healed or, or ready to be healed, or a scar might be reopened because of marriage, because of the tension of marriage, or because of the tension of having to be vulnerable with someone. And so just coming into marriage, realizing that you're really going to be iron sharpening iron for each other and working through those root things so that it doesn't, um, it doesn't own your marriage, right. if that makes sense. So, And a, a lot of the reason that our marriage, I feel, has been, has been a healthy marriage is over the past 14 years. We've known each other for 20 plus years. You'd think we'd be sick of each other by now, um, but we're not. We love it because we're committed to the journey of saying, listen, familial baggage, baggage in life, we're, we're, we're going to deal with it. We're going to make sure that we are always open about things. So the first, first thing in the top 10 is this, is that familial baggage makes a horrible carrier. Deal with your daddy issues. Deal with your mommy issues, right? Deal with your sister issues. Deal with your brother issues. Deal with your issues, all right? And, uh, and, and I tell you, it'll make your marriage a better marriage. And that's why I said in any of these things, uh, apply them to where you're at in life. You may be married. You may be divorced. You may be single. But this is where you have yeah, the opportunity. Don't wait mar- until yeah, marriage. Exactly. Mar- if you have issues with yourself and what's going on within you now, marriage will not fix it. 
okay? You, we often think that there's some wholeness that happens when we come into marriage. It's not true. It's not reality. Yeah. Only it will wholeness exasper- we can ever find is in Jesus. That's where our wholeness comes from. It will so, exasperate it. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Highlight it. And when she to messes the with the toupee in the wrong way, you'll want to kill her and hey, like all two. of these things. Ten minutes. Because you didn't deal with your daddy issues. Simple as that. So I don't have daddy issues. My daddy's right there. I, I love my daddy. daddy. <laughs> I don't have daddy issues. <laughs> Just clarifying. Number two. Neither do I. Um, so Number two. Number two. <laughs> Number two. Decide that divorce is not an option. We got to decide that divorce is not an option. Back doors and B options never allow for forward movement. Resolving conflict cannot happen when you have a back door, right? Forgiveness can't happen when there are back doors, right? When all the doors are locked, you got to resolve your stuff. When you're, when you're saying, no, we're going to force integration here, like we were in, uh, we were in this car for 16 hours with our, with our family, like I'm surprised we're all still alive, but at the end of the day, I was actually thinking about it this morning, I dealt with my daughter in a way that has been challenging lately, and I thought to myself, I was like, you know what, this is actually like, it's been really cool being with them as much as we have, because there's some stuff that we're just having to work out because we're in close quarters, why? Because it's not an option to abandon ship. Right? It's not an option to get out of the car in Twin Falls, Idaho and not go with the rest of them. <laughs> right? It's not an option. We have to decide that divorce is, is not an option. Back doors, here's, here's, the, here's the truth that we all need to write this down if you're taking notes. Back doors reveal our desire for easy. If you have a B option, if you have a get out of Dodge card, all it's simply doing is revealing our desire for easy. Taking a way out is easy. Moving forward takes bravery, strength, resolve, and faith. And that's in any conflict, in any relationship. And we don't like conflict. That We do not, as a generation, like conflict. Not that we should love it or anything, but we should be willing to encounter it. We should be knowing that it betters our relationships and strengthens our relationships. And again, we, there are moments where divorce is... We've had to walk through marriages that have had to go through divorce because there's major unhealth or abuse or whatever. So please don't hear what's not being said, okay? We're talking about healthy people in a marriage and saying that. So and Can I say this in a generation? We, we have many divorcees in our church, and I want to go on record as saying this. Divorce is not the impartable sin. Can we just put that out there? And I know for some of you that's going to rock your theology a little bit because we've come to this place. But the, the funny thing is, is that we, we will apply grace to some things and we won't apply grace to other things. We'll pick and choose where we apply grace. And who are we to figure out where grace has greater application or less application? It is not the impartable sin. Is it God's plan and hope for your life? Well, no, absolutely not. Does God like broken things? No. But can God show up in broken things? Yes. So let's not get it twisted because I think there's a lot of people that step into church, especially step into faith, and they carry this dark cloud over them like they're the most shameful person on the planet and that nothing good can come out of it. I'm going to tell you what, I've seen some situations where I've even went, can anything good come out of this? But I'm a human. God says, yes, everything good can come out of this because I make beautiful things out of dust. Michael Gunger said that in a song that he wrote. (laughs) Right? So let's just be aware of that. So we got to decide that divorce is not 
an option. Come on, somebody. Can I, yeah. Is that a good place to say amen this morning? This, divorce is not an option. Somebody but give us an amen. Somebody give us an amen this morning. All right, number All right, three. Number three. Go for it, baby. Right wins arguments, but sorry wins hearts. Or as I like to say it, lay down your pride and say you're sorry. Okay? I say it like that because I don't like saying it. <laughs> I don't like saying I'm sorry. But can uh, I tell you? She okay, needs to say it a lot. So. I do not. But, <laughs> no. You know, I actually say it more to my children than my husband because that's where I'm mostly wrong is with my kids. And my, no, but it, it's just this reality. And I do want to speak to being parents as well, because it's the reality that oftentimes it just hurts to say you're sorry. And sometimes saying sorry, you're saying it and you know you weren't wrong, but you're saying it to heal, right? To, because for whatever reason, your spouse thought you were, Okay. And, and the reality is that a lot of us, we're working through our feelings and we're trying to say, like, this is what I felt. And, well, I'm not, say, I'm not trying to put that out there. Well, just say you're sorry and move on. Just say, you know what, I didn't, want, I didn't mean it to come across that way or I'm sorry. The other day I had to do it. You know, I was upset. We were in the car again with kids and I was just like this with them and then I was like this with him. It had nothing to do with him. And I wanted to just be mad at him because I could take it out on him and he's not going to run away, you know, <laughs> or cry, you know. <laughs> so I, I had to be like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry that wasn't about you. But it took a lot of effort to do that. <laughs> to like, see, I know the dysfunction in me. I know the brokenness in me. I know the things that are str- a struggle for me. But I also know if, I, if I'm real with myself, there are many moments where I do need to say I'm sorry and just lay down my pride. So I want to encourage us to be the kind of people that just apologize that just say, you know, I'm sorry I hurt you, even if I don't understand why, you know? And, uh, yeah. Have you ever seen the movies where, like, they're mad at each other, and they're, like, arguing and they're fighting, and then all of a sudden, like, he just swoops in for a kiss, right? That's a total lie. That never happens. <laughs> Ever, right? But it goes through my mind in certain moments where I'm like, if I just started to, like, make out with her face, would we end this argument? I'd like to like, Come on. Some of you are like, is this church? Yes, it's church. We've got to talk about these things, all right? And uh, I don't do it because she would punch me, but at, at, the, at, at the end of the day, I've come to realize this, that sorry in the middle of it is exactly like that kiss. If you can just stop and say, whoa, whoa, whoa you know what? I'm sorry. All of a sudden, walls come down. All of a sudden, there's this harmony that starts to come out of it. And what I've realized is that when we say sorry in the midst of something, God's presence and grace saturate it. Right. Because God cannot operate where there's a wall of pride. Right. Okay, some of us need to write that down. Because we think, we think that in our rightness, I'm right. God can work when I just prove that I'm right. No, actually, you're being prideful right now. God can't work. That's the wall that keeps him out. And so some of our marriages are at each other, like we're so at each other, and it would be amazing if we'd both just say, I'm sorry. Because you know what, at the end of the day, being right creates sides, being, uh, being sorry creates harmony. Have you noticed that we live in a world right now where everyone's just trying to be right? What happens if somebody said, I was sorry? I'm sorry for saying that. Sorry for thinking that. I'm sorry for behaving that way. Sorry removes sides and allows us to come into the same room together. Right. And we've got to exercise our, our sorry. So the, so the third thing that we need to understand is that right wins arguments for sure, but sorry wins hearts. Stop trying to be right all the time. Because you're not. Like statistically speaking, you're not right all the time. You may believe you're right all the time, but you ain't right all the time. 
So just say sorry. Be sorry. Well, you don't understand. Be sorry. I don't have anything to be sorry about. Be sorry. Do you have something to be sorry about? Right? Just be sorry. Allow things to soften because right wins arguments, but sorry wins hearts. Come on, Rashad, number four. Number four. Number four, the fourth one's this. Go, baby. Give each other room to change. Um, I remember growing up, I was, uh, I, I mean, you, you probably think I'm honest right now, like that I'm an honest person, but I used to be like, I would not hold back anything I thought. Way more honest. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> Dangerous. So I, my sister always used this as an example because for the longest time, I would be getting better at this. I was working really hard. I'm like, trust me, you are not hearing everything I'm thinking, <laughs> you know? And I would just get so frustrated because I would be trying to change, but then it, she'd bring that one thing back up, you know, or that thing. Remember when you used to do that? Or now you're saying this because of that. And we do that all the time to each other. It's like, no, I, I really am trying to change. You're not acknowledging the 20 times I did do it right because of the one time I did the thing I've been doing for 20 years, but I've been not, I haven't done for a year, you know? So giving each other that kind of room to change where you trust that each other is changing, that we're making an effort. Acknowledge the effort. Acknowledge the effort and don't just slide back into that dangerous place of history because, you know, the person messed up that one more time. There's got to be room for change instead of this idea that, well, as soon as you say you're going to change, you're never going to do that thing again. Anybody, anybody ever done that? I mean, come on. I've said I'm going to change on certain things, and then the same day, I run into the same problem and end up in the same place, and I'm like, I thought I was doing better. I'm not. I'm still failing. So the reality is, though, we do get better as we continue to change. As it comes to light, we get better. I'm better now than I was before, but before was really, it took, you know, it was, it was harder at first to change, but now it's more, like, natural. Does that make sense? So give each other room to change and see it in each other. Yeah. Come on, everybody shout time. time. Come on, everybody shout time. 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 It takes time to change, right? But have you noticed we don't want to give each other time to change? We want it right now. We want it right now, right? At the end of the day, uh, I, I remember when we first stepped into the gym and I had a considerable amount of weight to lose. And we were talking to our coach about it and everything like that. And, and, uh, and, and he had the same conversation with us. He's like, how long did it take you to get where you're at? And I was like, I mean, years. It was a good, solid 20 years of Krispy Kremes. Like, it was awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> and he says, here's the unfortunate part is that many people come into the gym and they want gone in four weeks what took 20 years to build. And the interesting thing is, is that when it comes to our marriages and our relationships and everything like that, we do the same exact thing. It took 20 years to form the thing that you don't like. It's going to take 20 years to continue to shape it. However, by God's grace, when we commit to it, what takes 20 years naturally, God can supernaturally impose, and it takes way less time. But it still takes time. Right. It still takes time. If you guys don't communicate well, and you've been not communicating well for 15 years, can I tell you it doesn't change overnight? Because how many of you agree with me? Communication's hard. Right. It's hard. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we've got to understand that the great, the great equalizer to change is time, and we've got to give each other time to change. Come on, we shout time. Come on, Rashad, time. Time, time we've got to give each other time to change. Number five is this. The fifth thing to remember, the fifth of the top ten is this. Remember the chase. Remember the chase. We've got to continue to pursue each other no matter what the cost. 
okay? Chasing each other will cost you. Deal with it and make the investment. It's amazing how many couples I have met that allow the cost to stop them from pursuing each other. And to be clear, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm not just talking about money. It costs time, energy, effort, personal comfort. All of these are the cost of constant pursuit. I've literally met couples who say, we just don't have the money to pursue each other anymore. <clears throat> Wrong answer. You can figure something. Go to a park and have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and stare in each other's eyes. I don't care what you need to do. But chase each other. That'll cost you a buck fifty in bread and jelly, okay? That's all it costs you. What you're really saying is that the investment, the time, the energy, that's not worthwhile for you. Because it doesn't cost a lot to pursue each other, right? Sometimes simply pursuing each other is reminding each other that you're still in, like, I can still touch you. Occasionally I'll just walk by my wife and I'll just, hey, baby, I'm here, we're in the same room. I'm pursuing her, I'm letting her know. And other times I'm grabbing her and cuddling with her and kissing her and we're making our kids feel awkward because we do that in front of them and we want them to understand these things. I'm pursuing her, but we'll have date nights. We'll do these things. And sometimes we'll spend money on pursuing each other. And other times we'll just talk for hours and we'll have some of the best nights just sitting on our couch pursuing each other. There is not an excuse to not invest in your relationship. We've got to constantly pursue each other. We've got to chase each other. All right, we got to go after each other and make sure because what happens, um, actually, I'll let you speak to this. Yep. So the moment you stop pursuing each other is when you enter the danger zone. The reality is that if you've let down that chase, that it leads to complacency. The danger zone is a place of complacency. Complacency leads to temptation and temptation can lead us to failure. So we have to be constantly in pursuit of each other. It's that it's what you talked about last week is that prayer for stirring up the the desire within me for him and vice versa. Lord, stir up that desire within me that my eyes, that I see him, whatever that is, what does that mean to you? So making sure that you consistently stay in pursuit, that the conversations don't stop, that the, the being together doesn't stop, that the taking time for one another doesn't stop no matter how many children you have. You know, keep pursuing. No matter what you feel about yourself, yesterday, and this has happened a bunch of times in our house, we got an 11-month-old, and uh, she's crawling everywhere. She's not walking yet, soon. But uh, I'll, I'll chase her. I'm, like, I'll get on all fours, and I'll, I'll chase her. Like, I'll crawl around, and I'm chasing her and everything like that. And she, she'll laugh, and she'll try to get away from me, and then she'll stop. Maybe you've done this with a baby before. She'll stop, and she'll turn around, and she'll look. Right? If I'm going to do it again, then when she looks, I chase her again. And she thinks it's the most hilarious thing. But I remember uh, one time she ran down the hall, not ran, she quickly walked, briskly crawled down the hall, <laughs> hoping that I was chasing her. And I had made a maneuver to hide around the corner. And she didn't see me, but I was able to peek my head out a little bit and look. And here's this little tiny girl on all fours, and she's looking for daddy. And I stopped chasing her, and she just then sat. And then she sat in the hall for a little while and just played on her own. She went isolated. And I thought to myself, in that moment, I was like, that's so many of our marriages. Yeah. We're looking for the other one to chase us, and because no one's chasing anymore, we're sitting in a dark hallway by ourselves, isolated and playing alone. And that's not the way we've been called to live. We've been created for community. We've been created to be involved and engaged with each other. And again, this is more than physicality. This is more than, this is more than intimacy and sex and everything like that. that this is 100% community, being chasing each other in all things. I want to know what she thinks about things. I want to know what she desires. I want to know what she feels about things. 
That's part of chasing my wife. I want to see her smile. I want to see her happy and joy-filled, so I chase her in any way possible. Am I the best at it? No. Are there times that we're tired and exhausted, and so we're chasing, like, I'm coming to get you. (laughs) Sometimes, right? Does the chase happen in sweatpants and a bun in the hair, right? Yes, it happens sometimes. But we got to understand that we still got to chase each other. Why? Because the chase is important. It's what keeps the energy of the marriage lasting. Come on, every shot, number six. Number six. Sixth thing to know. Learn to speak each other's language. And this is about love languages. If you haven't heard of this, there's a book called Five Love Languages, and there it's acts of service, quality time, and then three others. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Physical touch. Get to learn physical touch. Gifts. Gifts. There Thank you, go. you. Words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. <laughs> Should have wrote that down. Um, <laughs> anyway, but there's five love languages, and oftentimes each of us carries a predominant one that is the thing that fills up our love cup whenever we are, you know, from anyone, from a friend or a, relative or a family member or in our marriage. And so, you know, for me, it's acts of service. You, you want my attention, do the dishes. For real. Or give me a present. Like, it's those two. Either way, you're doing something for me. <laughs> like, so it's learning like that that's how I feel most valued and most loved is through you seeing the thing I see and then doing that thing for me. And so for you, it's words of affirmation, which, again, comes not easily to me. It's not my need. You could tell me all day I'm gorgeous, and I'm like, thanks. That doesn't mean do anything. It doesn't do anything for me. I, you know, She's impenetrable. I'm impenetrable. You're gorgeous, you're gorgeous, you're gorgeous. Unless you do the dishes. Yeah. And then we're good. But, (laughs) so, you know, it's just learning each other's language. How does that person need to be filled up? What are those things? And it's often not the way that you naturally do things. It's not that easy. God did not design us to be easy, apparently. Because if it was easy and we both had words of affirmation, then we'd be good at it all day long. Most marriages, I don't know if I know anyone who has like the same love language. So that means I'm putting effort to being, doing something very unnatural to myself. It's easy for me to encourage others, but for me to just sit and encourage you, it takes time and effort and energy. Like literally you wouldn't think so. It's just words, but it does. And the same for you in acts of service. It's like, it's not natural. You, You see the garbage is full maybe, but I don't naturally just go and do something about it. But when you do, then it fills up my cup and vice versa. The problem so, that we run into as well is that we have a tendency to serve the other person through the love language that we value the most. And then when we do that, the other person gets frustrated at us and believes that we're being selfish. And it creates this weird debacle in the middle of our relationship. So we have to understand is that when we serve each other through the other person's love language, that's actually part of the chase, Right? That's part of the chase. When I, when I serve her through gifts and acts of service, she knows that I'm chasing her, right? She knows what Jason's doing when he's doing the dishes. She understands that, like, okay, he's trying to serve me in that way. When I buy her a gift, when I do those things, she understands that, okay, Jason's trying to engage here. And when she is affirming in her words, because I'm a words of affirmation guy, like I really don't care about anything else. But when she affirms me, it's the, I mean, it is the greatest thing on the planet. It's like, like it's awesome when she... <laughs> is using words of affirmation. And so that we got to understand, we got to learn to speak each other's language. Get good at trying to dial in to who she is and, and who he How many of you would agree with me? We just get lazy sometimes. Yeah. Let's just be honest. Like, ah, I got her. 
It's good. <laughs> I put a ring on it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're good. But man, if you got good, right? Like some of us guys in here, if I can speak to the dudes, like it's a, it is amazing how many guys I meet that like can name off, like rattle stats off of baseball players and basketball players and football players. They know what their fantasy team is doing before it even does anything, right? Like they know all of these things about all of these other dudes and their sports stuff. And I ask one question about their wife and they're like, uh, when was your anniversary? Uh, what's her favorite color? Uh, what's Joe so-and-so stat at baseball? What? How do you know all this? Two things that's interesting. We say that we can't memorize the Bible and we say that we cannot understand our wives. But we know all of sports stats. We know what the stock market's doing. We know what our job wants us to do. We have that entire pamphlet memorized. We could sell somebody on it like that. It's getting quiet in church this morning. (laughs) Talking to the guys. We gotta learn to speak each other's language. Number seven. Come on, Rashad, number seven. Seven. We need to pursue God individually. This is vital. So many couples are trying to pursue God with each other. We've put this like romantic thing on it. But the problem is, is it's an impossibility if you're not able to pursue God individually. Right? Singles, you need to hear this about marriage. This is something that you should be looking for in him or her before you ever become us. Does this person pursue God individually? Listen, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Pursuit of God individually creates harmony corporately. Let's say that one more time. Pursuit of God individually creates harmony corporately. We have harmony in our marriage because we pursue God individually. She knows when we get, especially when we get into arguments, all right, when we, when we disagree with each other, she knows and trusts that Jason is going to go to God on it. Why? Because she knows and trusts that I pursue him individually. She knows I have a relationship with him. She knows that I'm going to worship him. And in that, she trusts that maybe, just maybe, God might bring some conviction in my life. And I deal with some things so that we can deal with our marriage because she trusts that I'm going to God individually. Where she no longer trusts whether I'm willing to work with her is when Jason stops going to God individually because she's like, if I can't talk to to him, who's going to talk to him? So we've got to pursue God individually. Why? Because pursuit of God individually creates harmony corporately. And then it creates the the framework and the avenue to then pursue God together. I know the things that we're trying to work out, the changes that we're both trying to make in our lives and in our relationship, I actually believe they're possible. Why? Because she pursues God individually. I told her yesterday, she loves reading like novels and stuff that takes her off into La La Land because we have to focus all the time. Where I do not. <laughs> at all, I could care less, right? It's not enjoyable at all. But like leadership books and like thinking books and things like that, I love them, I, I read them. So she's been reading a lot more of them. And I literally said to her yesterday, I was like, there's some books, she got another book in Amazon while we're gone. And I was like, baby, I'm so proud of you that you're reading books like this and getting all smart. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> Right? She is smart. Because I already am smart. I don't have to read those books. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's the thing. But what is she doing? Well, she's actually, she's she's reading things that I actually enjoy and it's creating new conversations. 
right? So we're learning to do, because why? She's pursuing God and she's going, I, I want to dig into some of these things. We've got to pursue God individually. Anything you want to add on that one? No, I think that just the key is that when you pursue him individually, then he highlights the things in you that need changing. So it just goes right. back to those places of being willing to change and all of those things. And as you pursue God individually, he'll highlight the things that aren't working in your life, right? Yep. So that's why it's so important. Number, right, number eight, eight is do not... No, can you put up number eight? Sorry, it's on here incorrectly. Kids are a part of, a, uh, of not a distraction to or from the journey. Um, so often we see marriages that as soon as they have children, it suddenly derails the marriage. It's all about the children, all about the children, all about the children. And the reality is that each of us as individuals have gifts and calls on our lives to do things for the kingdom of God. And as we have had kids and got married, we realized, like, they're part of our journey. They're not a distraction from the journey that God has us on. And so often we allow kiddos to get in to kind of take over the journey, right? And it's like, it's all about them. Now, there's seasons where it is about your child. There's moments in your day where it is about your child, where it is about stopping and slowing down and hearing them and talking to them and cultivating that. But you're cultivating that because you believe there's something on their life, that you believe that God has a design and a purpose for them. So we cultivate it intentionally. So when we know that we have a journey that we're going on and we see our kiddos, we see that they're part of that journey and we can pull out those gifts and calls on them as opposed to just settling in to, I'm just a parent now. It's false. You're not just a parent. You're a friend. You're a father. You're a mother. You're a parent. You're a sister. You're a brother. You're a coworker. You're an influencer, whatever it is. We don't just have a singular identity. So allowing and realizing that our kids are part of the journey. How do we include them in the journey and help them feel valued in the journey and help them feel like they have a place in the journey while still cultivating the journey that's in us? It's awesome. And we, we want to try to spend more time on this, but for the sake of time, we'll just kind of leave it there. We just got to understand that kids are an addition to the journey, not a derailment right? They're in addition to, they're little joys to have along the way of the journey. But your call, your purpose doesn't leave you when you have kids. And your marriage doesn't stop when right. you have kids. I think that's the danger too, is you, you forget those last eight things all of a sudden. Yeah. We stop pursuing because we're busy and we're tired and we have kids nagging on us all day long. Mm -hmm. I know. I want to. I just want to go to bed. I don't want anyone to want <laughs> anything else from me. I just want to go to sleep. You know? But it doesn't stop. Our marriage doesn't stop because we have kids. It's interesting and we're learning how do we do marriage? How do we do pastoring? How do we do these things while having a family? And then sometimes God says, slow down a minute. I want you to breathe life into your child here. Or slow down a minute. You need to focus on your marriage. So it's a reality of us knowing that God's got us wherever we're at. I, I remember a quote where it was, God promised this woman, and I took it as my own, that when you're working on the, in my kingdom, and for her, she was a pastor, so this applies to me, but wherever you're at, when you're working in that place, I've got your family. And when you're working on your family, I've got the kingdom. Sometimes we think that we're the only ones that can save people, that we're the only, without God, without us, God, you couldn't do this. That is such a lie, okay? Or whatever it is. 
he he can do anything with or without us. We get to be on the journey with yeah. him. We get to be invited to be a part of it. So just realizing that that you just got to slow down, take moments, realize the ebb and flow of your life, and also realize that kids shouldn't distract from your marriage to the point where you don't know each other when they leave you because they leave you. That's the point. You're supposed to raise adults who actually leave your home, right? And so <laughs> they're going to leave, and then you're left with nothing. You don't know each other anymore. It's such a dangerous thing, and I've seen it over and over again, and I see it in young couples and young families where it's like, so when was your last date night? And they're like, I don't, what do you, I don't, we can't do that. Well, that's not true. That's a lie of the enemy, and I think it's a quick way to divide marriages, so. Absolutely. Is that good? Are you getting something out of that? All right. Number nine, we got to move quick, really fast. Number nine, you got to understand that communication is more than talking. Communication is more than talking. It is talking and it's listening. We teach this in pre-marriage counseling that, that uh, so many times, and, and you've all done this, I've done this, we've all done this, right? When someone's communicating, you're not listening. You're coming up with your way to argue it. You know what I'm saying? I call it defensive listening. They're communicating something. You're not hearing what it is that they're saying. You're creating the argument. You're creating the excuse. You're already working in your head how you are going to rebut whatever it is or communicate back to them. That is not communication. Communication is talking and active listening. Being able to say, I hear that you're saying this, this, and this before I even come up with any one thing that I want to say back to her. So we got to understand that communication is more than talking. To the couples in here, with all of us in here, we got to get good at listening. Come on, somebody say, I got to learn to listen. Come on, I got to learn to listen to what somebody is saying. And we learn how to listen when we lean into them and we smile and we're like, okay, I hear this. Okay. Ooh, that's good. Amen, right? Say whatever you need to do to let them know that you are, that you're listening. Don't think about the, the laundry list or the store that needs to, that you gotta get to. Like, don't, don't, stop, stop. Talk and listen. Listen and talk. Why? Because communication is more than talking. And the last one is this. Come on, every shot, number 10. Okay. Number 10, the last thing that you need to understand is this, is that great marriages are cultivated. They are not canned. Great marriages are not cultivated, or excuse me, are cultivated, not canned. In other words, stop desiring what's over there or on Facebook or on Instagram. Stop desiring what they have and wishing you could have the same thing and start developing what is right in front of you. Right? Because if we spend as much time working on our relationships as we did desiring that they were different, our relationships would actually be different. And so often we want good now as if marriage is this canned product that you pick off a shelf. The truth is it's not a canned product. It's a garden that is to be cultivated. You got to work in it. You got to get on your hands and knees and you got to pick weeds out of that thing. I hate gardening. Seriously, for those of you who love gardening, God bless you. you Glad that the Lord created you. But the bottom line is, is, is I hate getting in the garden on my knees and digging out weeds and making sure this plant and watering it and doing the thing. A garden is hard work. And I think marriage, though, is like a garden. It really is. You got you to dig in the weeds. You got you to get things out. You got to make sure that the right things are applied. You got to make sure that you water. You got to make sure that it's getting sunlight. You got to make sure it's doing all of these things. Why? Because marriage is not a canned product. It's a cultivated garden.
So many of us don't have the marriages that we, that we want simply because we're unwilling to get out in the garden and cultivate it. Some of us today need to go home and start pulling some weeds. Some of us today need to get home and we've got to start pulling the rocks that are in our garden out. Why isn't this growing? Well, you got a gigantic rock of familial baggage sitting there. So no wonder it's not working. Great marriages are cultivated, not canned. And like we said at the beginning of this thing, at the outset of this thing, is that our heart for this message is not to shame anybody or condemn anybody or anything like that. Our heart for this message is to see no matter where you're at, whether you're a single, whether you're dating, whether you're engaged, whether you're married, five years, 10 years, 50 years, our heart is to see your marriage thrive, to be the beautiful garden that God called it to be, designed it to be, to be the thing that we read in the beginning, a Song of Solomon, where it's this grand adventure that both of you are on until death do us part. Marriage. It's a good, good thing. Come on, would you stand to your feet together this morning?